Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 258 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America. The Aerator Sports Podcast. It is Monday, June 1st, 2020. And first and foremost, I hope everybody that is listening to this show is staying safe. Listen, I understand that many of you come to this show to hear AT rant and rave and yell and scream about sports, and you do it also to get away from the larger societal issues that are you know, plaguing our society. And I know you don't want AT's opinion on a lot of things other than sports. I totally get that. I would be remiss if I did not address this situation from the weekend off the top. I promise I'll keep it to a minute, two minutes tops. And mostly, I just want to check in because I know that so many of the communities that were ravaged this weekend are where many of you live. Uh, We have a ton of listeners in Nashville and in Louisville and in Atlanta and in Indianapolis and in Los Angeles I hope first and foremost that you guys are safe. I hope that your property is safe. I hope that your family is safe. I hope that if you chose to peacefully protest this weekend, credit to you. I hope you did so in a safe manner and you got out of a lot of these places before things turned chaotic. Um, What I would also say very quickly is that I do hope this weekend, while there was a lot of negativity, just very quickly, I did see some positive things as well. I saw people marching side by side that maybe otherwise wouldn't in their everyday lives, maybe associate with people that they wouldn't, go down to their local communities and clean up after the, the bad guys, after the, the vandals uh, you know, destroyed some of these communities on Friday and Saturday night. And so I saw a lot of positive. And so I do hope going forward that George Floyd, uh, by all accounts, he was murdered. I mean, every piece of video we have reflects that. And I do hope that he was not murdered in vain. I do hope that this does continue to bring people together that otherwise wouldn't. And I do hope that we all choose to treat people better that might not look like us. And it's not just a racial thing. It's not just a black-white thing. It can, of course, be people that aren't in the same socioeconomic bracket as you. It could be um, you know, whatever, people that don't have the same skin tone, people who don't have English as a first language. We are all human beings. We are all, 
different experiencing different things to be clear I'm not saying that I understand what every single person has gone through in their lives but we're all battling our own battles and the best thing that we can learn from this is to treat everyone with respect not just people that we come into contact with not just people that look like us but people that, that maybe we wouldn't, maybe people that don't look like us, maybe people that don't have the same skin tone as us, that don't speak English as a first language, that, that, that have a job that, that we consider beneath us, that doesn't make them less of a human than us. And I do hope if we take anything, I don't even want to say positive, if we take anything out of this weekend, it is to treat everyone, every person with the respect that they deserve. I know all of you feel the same way. And the one thing that I love about doing this show, I get to interact with people all across the country. And the one thing I'll tell you is this, while you're going to see a lot of negativity on the news, on social media, whatever, I know there are a lot of really good people out there. I know all of you were as appalled and scared and worried as I was over the course of this weekend. But I do hope this does bring change. I do hope that it makes all of us look at people that don't look like us uh, in a different light and understand that they are, like I said, we're not, ex we're not saying that everyone has the same experiences as everybody else, but everyone has gone through something, whether they're rich, whether they're poor, uh, whether they're an immigrant, first generation, second generation, whatever. Let's just treat everybody with respect. Let's just be kind. Obviously, there is still evil in the world. You can't change everybody, but what you can do is change how you treat people. That's all you can control. How do you treat people? Do you treat them with the respect that they deserve? And if so, you're doing good things, and I know you guys are. Uh, and that's it. That's it. And that's it. I promise that's it. I don't want to spend too much time on this. You got enough of this everywhere else. You don't need AT's opinion. Beyond what I just said, and let's be honest, there is plenty of other sports topics. You come here for sports. You don't come here for anything else. I felt as though I needed to address that off the top. But it is time to switch to talk about sports. And it was I think a very important weekend. So here's a quick rundown of what the show is going to look like today. Very simply, I have been giving you these coronavirus updates as it pertains to sports over the last couple weeks. It really did start with college football because there was so much kind of lack of knowledge out there and I was kind of trying to set some things straight. It has now transitioned to I kind of lead every show if there are updates with updates and it does appear as though we have some updates from the last time I spoke to you on Thursday. The NBA, we are moving towards Towards the return of the NBA, the NBA draft. We may not have an exact date, but we are starting to get some clarification on that. And speaking of the NBA draft, you want to hear AT talk sports. You want to hear AT get fired up. I will get fired up later because the NBA draft, uh, it, you know, whatever. Who knows when it's going to be? But on Saturday, Andrew Nemhard, the starting guard at Florida, he was one of Florida's best players, pulled out of the draft and decided to transfer it from Florida. And you guys know I have been Mr. Crush Mike White at every single opportunity, but I don't think I'm going to do it. And I think I'm going to explain the situation. I'm going to tell you about something that I've noticed in college basketball more and more over the last couple of years. And everybody wants to crush the coaches, but I think the players are to blame for something. I'm going to give you a perspective on Andrew Nemhard that I don't think you'll find anywhere else. I should mention on the back end, we do have another great guest. It has been an incredible run of guests over the last couple months. And I do think it's going to be a little bit of a different guest, right? So you guys know that I like to bring you 
different perspectives from across the sports world, across the basketball world, across the football world. And later in the show, Ryan Hollins, 10-year NBA vet. He played for the Charlotte Hornets, the Charlotte Bobcats at the time. He played at UCLA. He joins me for what I think is a really fun interview. One, I've talked a lot about UCLA on this podcast. They are, in fact, a blue blood program. And Ryan Hollins played at UCLA. And he talks about some of the misconceptions about UCLA, why it's a better uh, situation than I think a lot of people realize, what his thoughts on Mick Cronin, and even some on his playing career. For people who don't remember, and most of you probably don't, but he was on the team that played Adam Morrison in the famed Adam Morrison crying game. He was part of a Final Four run at UCLA. So he talks about that and a little bit in his time in the NBA playing for a team owned by Michael Jordan. Obviously, that's pretty topical considering what has happened the last six, seven, eight weeks with the Michael Jordan documentary. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the place to go. Do it on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you like about the show, what you like about the guests, whatever you want to do. Just give us a quick five stars. It really does help. Also, if you're not following Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, that is where so many of you say, AT, I want more AT. Give me more AT. We need to do more than two episodes a week. Well, whenever there is news, I always react on the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. So make sure that you're following the page there. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you have questions. And as I've mentioned in the last couple episodes, I have a Facebook page, Aaron Torres Writer. You can find me there if you get most of your content on Facebook. And also a YouTube channel where I post a lot of this show. If you guys are on YouTube, just look me up, Aaron Torres. I am there as well. All right, people. No more time to waste. And as I said, over the last couple of weeks, so, so to kind of backtrack, right, I think a lot of you are now getting back to, and I certainly hope, are getting back to some semblance of normalcy after the coronavirus outbreak of the early part of this spring. Many of you are back at work for the first time. Many of you are commuting. Many of you have your kids at home, maybe more than you were expecting. And you don't have time to follow every single moving part in getting sports back on your television. You want the NBA. You want Major League Baseball. You want the NFL. You don't have time to follow every little piece of information. And so what I like to do, what I have been doing, is kind of update everything that is going on in the world of sports. There's obviously been some positives over the last couple weeks. NASCAR has returned. The UFC has returned. Golf had the Tiger, Phil, Brady, Peyton Manning thing a couple weeks ago. Uh, The PGA Tour, I should mention, is going to come back as a whole in a couple weeks. And so there are a lot of positive signs, and i just like to keep you updated off the top here. To be clear, as I said last week, understand this isn't a baseball podcast. I understand it's not an NBA podcast, but many of you, you just, it's the summertime. Hopefully again, you're getting back to some semblance of normalcy and you just want to know when are things in the sporting world going to get back to normal. Don't know that there is a ton to unpack over the last couple of days, but there has been a positive development in the NBA. Major League Baseball is stuck in neutral. I went off on Major League Baseball a few weeks ago, or a few episodes ago, excuse me, because they are not making any progress at all. I think it's a bad look for the league. The NBA, however, 
it does appear as though there is a plan in place. The official vote will go into place later this week. But in the meantime, here is what we kind of know. On Friday, Shams Charania, the great NBA reporter for The Athletic and for Stadium, he put out a tweet that July 31st appears to be the day that the NBA will likely come back. I've talked about it a lot on this show the last couple episodes. I do think the NBA should be coming back earlier. I don't think that they should be starting up right around the time that NFL training camps are going to be opening up, but I've talked about that. You can go back and listen to that. And more importantly, it is a credit to the NBA that they're actually getting things moving. As I just said a minute ago, Major League Baseball, they're arguing over every last dollar and cent, and all of a sudden we're going to look up and it's going to be September and we're going to have no baseball. So credit to the NBA, credit to the fact that they are going to get back on the court, even if I do think it's probably a little bit later than they should. I do believe they should probably be aiming to get back on the court on July 1st instead of July 31st. That gives you that whole window of, oh, what, July 1st to about August 15th where you own the sports landscape, where you're not competing with NFL training camps, where you're not competing with college sports media days for the most part. We're not competing with college training camps, and you own that whole time frame. But July 31st appears to be the date, and now the question becomes this. What is the format going to look like, right? Are, are we going to get all 30 teams? Are we going to get just the playoff teams? What is the format? And so that's a little bit about what I want to talk about today, what we're hearing. This is not my own reporting. I'm just kind of speculating on what other people are talking about. But if you listen to the Woges and the Shams and the Ramona Shelburns and all them, basically what it comes down to is that there's really about three options, okay? The first one is to bring back all 30 teams in the NBA, including those that have no chance of making the playoffs. So we would be talking about everybody from the Lakers and the Clippers all the way down to the Knicks and the Cavaliers. Probably not going to happen. No reason to bring back a bunch of people into a quarantine bubble that have no chance to make the playoffs. The, act, the exact opposite of that is to go with just the 16 teams who will make the playoffs. That does not appear as though it is going to happen either, because the NBA wants some regular season games, some non-playoff games before we get this thing started. And so realistically, what it looks like is going to happen, and we should have a final answer on this by the end of this week, it appears as though we are going to get somewhere between 20 to 22 teams to go to Disney World in Orlando to play uh, the rest of the season. And the reason it's that 20 to 22 range is because it's the teams that could realistically make uh, they're, they're realistically in enough of the playoff picture where they could make a run into the playoffs, right? So they're two games back, they're five games back, they're whatever, or they're just a team that is in position to make the playoffs right now. The NBA, want, the NBA players want regular season games before the actual playoffs start, and so rather than bring back everybody, they're only bringing back the teams that realistically could make a run to the playoffs. Now, what's more interesting than that is this. In addition to the fact that they are going to bring back those 20 to 22 teams, what it appears as though is going to happen is the final bottom six to eight teams, instead of just playing and getting to 16 teams, eight in the east, eight in the west, what they're instead going to do is have the last six or eight teams play a mini playoff NCAA tournament type deal. And this is all reported. Nothing's official yet. But that is the plan to have a little round or a little tournament to get the final two spots into the playoffs. And I'll tell you this, I actually kind of like it. 
And it's funny because I am kind of a traditionalist. I kind of like the way things are, the way things were. I thought the NCAA tournament was fine with 64 teams. I thought uh, I, I like the DH in the AL, and I like hit pitchers hitting in the NL. I think it's a fun little different deal. I had no problem with the BCS in college football. And as a general rule, I don't think the NBA should be blowing up what they've been doing for 60 years or whatever. But I also think that this is such an unprecedented time that if there is ever a time to try something new, this is it, right? And it's not just going to happen in the NBA. It could potentially happen in Major League Baseball as well. We're talking about seven-inning um, double, you know, play a doubleheader on Sunday with seven innings instead of nine. Uh, you know, if it goes past 12 innings, start with a runner on second base. I'm not saying I like all these rules, but if there's ever a rule, if there's ever a time to try this new stuff, this appears to be it. And so while I'm generally in favor of just playing the regular season, deciding who's in the playoffs and playing the playoffs, I think it's kind of cool to try something different this year. And so as I said, it would be about the last eight teams, uh, some kind of tournament where the last two teams standing get a get the final two playoff bids. And why it's cool is very simply, it kind of creates some excitement. Like I said, by the time uh, the NBA gets back, they are going to be competing with the NFL. Certainly, by the time they finish a couple weeks worth of regular season games, they will definitely be competing with the NFL. So I'm not saying this overtakes the NFL. I'm not even saying that a preseason game in the NFL is not good. Uh, the NBA playoffs might not even outrate a preseason game. But for at least a couple days, it can be kind of exciting, right? If you start with eight and finish with two teams, maybe we get an NCAA tournament type deal where teams play Thursday, Saturday, and then Friday, Sunday, and the winners advance to the play. Like, I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's kind of cool, and I think it's kind of different. And I think in a sports landscape that is going to be super crowded this summer, the NBA does have to try something different, and I think this could be really cool. I also think it be, could be cool because as you've heard and as has been reported, it allows some of the guys that might not be in the playoff mix otherwise to be in the playoff mix. And is it totally fair to the teams that have played um, you know, 70 games of their regular season or in position to get that eighth spot? I don't know if it's fair, but are they really going to win the championship anyway? No. The Clippers are probably going to win it or the Lakers or the Bucks, or maybe one other team. But a team that's in the eighth spot isn't going to make the playoffs. So get this tournament going, and it involves some of the, the, the names that we want to see that we don't generally see. Zion Williamson, for example. John Moran at Memphis. Sacramento with De'Aaron Fox, with Marvin Bagley could be in the mix with this. So I like the idea. I think it's something cool. I think it's something different. And I do think it's something to follow going forward. Nothing is obviously official yet, but... As I said, we should get some answers here in the coming days. I believe the vote is Thursday where we should get some clarification. Again, I wish they were starting a little earlier than July 31st, but if they're going to start late, do something cool, and I do think this is it. Really quickly, the only other kind of big coronavirus update relative to sports is that it appears as though we are finally, 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 getting some clarification on when this NBA draft could be. And it's so funny, right? Because I do so much in college basketball, and this is like the one variable that nobody has an answer to. It is ironic that in this particular season, most of the big blue blood programs, Kentucky, Kansas, Louisville, Duke, they don't really have guys testing the draft waters, but there are still guys that have put their name in the NBA draft that are trying to figure out if they're going to stay or not. Off the top of my head, 
Javante Smart at LSU, Aaron Henry and Xavier Tillman at Michigan State, Isaiah Joe at Arkansas. So there are still guys that are in the process of testing the draft. And so this week, throughout the, the you know all the different things that have been reported, it appears as though September, the middle to the end of September, will be when the NBA draft is on the calendar. Nothing is official yet, but it kind of makes sense, right? Because if we're bringing back NBA regular season on July 31st, we're starting the playoffs, say, July, or excuse me, August 15th, by the end of September, we really should be starting to come to an end of the NBA season. And obviously, look, with the NBA draft, the teams have had all this time to do their prep work and all their homework. So if there are still two teams playing the finals or there are still four teams that are in the middle of their playoff push, it shouldn't have precluded them from doing all their homework on the draft over the last four, five, six months. Now, why do I bring this up today? Why is it important today? It's because it's also important from the college basketball perspective. I mean, it's kind of crazy that we still have coaches now. We're This is June 1st. And we still have coaches that have no idea what their roster is going to look like come September 1st, come September 15th, come September 30th, come November 1st. And if you think about it, it's just kind of crazy to think about. Arkansas, Isaiah, I said it a minute ago, Isaiah Joe averaged 17 points per game last year at Arkansas. Him coming back makes them a lot different than if he leaves. Xavier Tillman and uh, Aaron Henry were Michigan State's second and third leading scorers behind Cassius Winston last year. If both those guys come back, Michigan State is a lot different than if both those guys go. And as of right now, we still don't know, but I do think that with this date floating around September, mid to late September, I suspect that we're going to get an official NBA withdrawal deadline very soon. And my guess is it's right around August 1st. And this is pure speculation on my part. I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't called the NCAA. I haven't called the NBA. I haven't done any of that. But what I can tell you definitively is August 1st kind of makes sense. And I'll tell you why. Two reasons, really. One, the NBA season ended in March. If you are still trying to collect information or you are still trying to convince teams to draft you by August 1st, you're probably not getting drafted or you're probably not getting drafted where you think you should be drafted. And so if you can't make a decision by August 1st when the when the, this thing started in the middle of March, that's kind of on you. That's not on the NBA. That's not on your college program. Make a decision and stick with it. So that's part of it. I think the second part is we got to look at an academic calendar. And I know it's funny because we do all the joke, oh, these kids don't really go to class and they're there to play basketball and the academics don't matter. Well, one, they do. Two, many of these schools I, I saw, uh, you know, all sorts of schools had, had really good academic performances throughout the spring and throughout the summer, even as those players were off campus and taking online courses. But these are still schools. And if school starts about August 15th, August 30th, in some cases, maybe even earlier, as I told you a few weeks ago, some of these schools are pushing up the academic calendar. So the first semester ends around Thanksgiving in fear that that second wave of coronavirus is going to hit post-Thanksgiving. Some, some of these schools start on August 1st. And so to me, I know we joke about, oh, <laughs> these kids are here to play basketball. They don't care about academics. One, a lot of them do. And two, and maybe this is the more important part, you got to make a decision and you got to stick with it and you got to focus on academics at some point. If you are coming back to school, you got to get, get enrolled in classes. You got to get back to campus for those kids that aren't going to be returning to campus in June or July. And so to me, 
I expect this draft deadline to be no later than August 1st. I could even see it being a little bit earlier since, as I said just a second ago, a lot of these teams are, in fact, returning to campus for summer school sometime in June. All right, I do want to switch gears to a completely different topic. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres, or if you follow me on Instagram for that matter, you know that I was pretty fired up about this. So Andrew Nemhard, the starting point guard at the University of Florida, on Saturday morning, Jeff Goodman tweets out that Andrew Nemhard had declared for the draft. He decides to pull his name out of the draft, but rather than returning to Florida, he will instead transfer. And normally I would talk about this because he was one of Florida's best players last year. And him leaving is actually really big for the program. For people who don't know, he averaged 11 points, almost six assists. He, was the, he played the most minutes for Florida, uh, second most shot attempts, third in points. And this was for a team that, as we all remember, was in everybody's preseason top 15, everybody's preseason top 20. People thought that with Kerry Blackshear and with the guys that they had, Florida could compete for an SEC title. They weren't even close with Kentucky winning it, Auburn and LSU finishing right behind them. And so look, normally, again, a couple things. Well, one, I don't normally talk about transfers. And two, if I do, it's usually the impact that the kid would have on the program, him leaving, what does it mean for Florida, blah, 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 this and that. I want to talk about something different, though, because I do think something interesting happened here that no other college basketball podcast, no other sports podcast is going to talk about. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to keep it real with you. And the reason you guys like me is because I do keep it real, and I do tell you some uncomfortable things. And while I generally try not to crush college kids for their decisions, and as a general rule, I really try not to judge decisions in general because everybody has a different set of circumstances this one's different, right? So like normally, again, if a kid decides to go pro, I don't, I'm not like, dude, he's not going to be a first rounder. He has to come back. Well, maybe he has a family to support. Maybe he doesn't like school. Maybe he has a guarantee, a promise for a second round pick where he'll get a guaranteed contract even if he's not a first rounder. There are a million different reasons to go pro. And usually when a guy transfers, it's the same. There's a million reasons that sometimes we as the public don't know about even me as somebody who covers college basketball might not know about. Sometimes they don't get along with the coach. Sometimes the coach basically tells them, you can't stay here. Sometimes the kid is homesick. Sometimes the kid has a family member that's sick. So every situation is a little bit different. As a general rule, I don't like to criticize kids who decide to transfer. And even in Andrew Nemhard's case, I'm not 100% positive. So if I end up being wrong on this, I apologize. I'll apologize in advance. But I don't think I'll be wrong on this because I made a few phone calls about this situation. And I think Andrew Nemhard is leaving for the wrong reasons. And I'm going to be critical of him because it's a trend that I have noticed in college basketball this offseason. And it, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. And that is very simply this. The reason that I don't think that it's about a coaching situation or a being closer to home is this. Over the last two years... Andrew Nemhard has declared for the NBA draft twice. Declared last year, withdrew, returned to school. This year, withdraws and decides to transfer. So to me, this isn't about getting closer to home. This isn't about family and friends. This isn't about mom and dad. It's about, I think I'm an NBA player, and I don't think that's happening at the University of Florida. 
That's what this says to me. Pulled out of the, entered the draft twice, pulled out twice. This is a kid that thinks he should be in the NBA right now, and the NBA is telling him, son, you're not good enough. And so if that is the case, and I think it is, shame on the kid for transferring. And again, I don't generally crush kids for transferring. Do what you think is best for you. But at the same time, if you think that you should be an NBA player, and you've been waiting, and you've been at Florida for two years, and the NBA is telling you you got stuff to work on, rather than running, rather than saying, uh, you know, it's not working here, maybe it's time to look yourself in the mirror. Because with Andrew Nemhard, this isn't one where you can complain about, listen, and you guys know, I criticize Mike White. I, you know, I will go after Mike White. I, I, I did a whole episode on how Mike White is overrated. I call him Shaka Smart of the Deep South. The one thing you can't say about Mike White, though, is that he didn't give Andrew Nemhard every opportunity imaginable to show the world that he's an NBA player. Andrew Nemhard led the team in minutes played, took the second most shots. He also was third in scoring on a team that was a top 15 team in the preseason. They play in the SEC. If you're good enough to play in the NBA, the NBA would have found you. You play in the SEC. You don't play at Murray State. You don't play in the Ohio Valley. You don't play in the WCC. You play in the SEC. And the coach is putting the ball in your hands. It's letting you do everything. And so to me, this is a kid that, as it appears, is de- has dealt with some adversity. And rather than getting back in the gym and getting better, he is deciding to go a different path. Now, maybe he finds that complete, total happiness in the next place they develop him into a pro. Maybe that happens. But again, he led the team in, 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 in minutes played. He took the second most shots. He had every opportunity in Florida. And so rather than leaving, rather than going somewhere where you're probably going to get less shots, less minutes played, less opportunity, why don't you look at yourself in the mirror, get back in the gym and get better? Because I'll tell you what, I criticize Mike White about a lot. It's not Mike White's fault that your three-point percentage went down. It's not Mike White's fault that you averaged almost three turnovers a game. Get in the gym and get better. And the one place that I will defend Andrew Nemhart on I don't believe he's the only one that's, that's had a similar situation this offseason. More than ever, I've seen kids that believe they're NBA players that are in good situations, that are getting everything a basketball player could ask for, leaving. Because it's not their fault. Not their fault they haven't developed into an NBA player. Nope, it's the coach's fault. It's the program's fault. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror. I'll give you an example. Mac McClung, Georgetown. I talked about him on the last episode. Really funny follow-up to that. After Mac McClung committed to Texas Tech, I texted a buddy who was on one of the staffs that was recruiting Mac Mac McClung. They were in his final seven. I won't, for obvious reasons, name the school. And I said to him, I said, dude, you know, I hope you're holding up all right. You know, but by the way, now that, you know, now that you're not going to get him, how fired up were you to get Mac McClung? Because I think Mac McClung's a good player. I think he's a mostly a YouTube, Instagram kind of highlight reel guy. I don't know that he makes people better. I don't know that he's a great three-point shooter. I don't know that he's a great ball handler. He looks awesome in the open court. I don't know that he's a great player, though. Good stats, bad team. See that all the time in basketball. See it at the NBA, see it at college, see it in high school. And so I texted my buddy. I said, you guys upset? How are you guys holding up without getting Mac McClung? And he told me, and I thought it was funny, he goes, honestly, Aaron, we weren't even really recruiting him that hard. I said, what do you mean you weren't recruiting him that hard? You were on his final seven. They said, look, 
we put in a few phone calls, we asked a few questions, but what we found out, the reason Mac McClung was leaving Georgetown, the reason that he's even back in college is because he went through the NBA draft process and the NBA people told him, you're not an NBA player right now. And specifically, if you want to be an NBA player, you're about six foot two, you're not a great ball handler, you don't make anybody better. And if you're six foot two, you gotta be able to handle the ball, you gotta be able to play point guard. And so Mac McClung, rather than going back to Georgetown where everything is about him, he averaged 16 a game, took the most shots, best player on the team, decides to transfer. And so my buddy said, look, if we're getting Georgetown Mac McClung, the dunking highlight reel guy, we would have taken him in a heartbeat. But if he's coming here thinking that he has to prove to people that he's a point guard, well, crap, we like the point guards that we have better than Mac McClung trying to learn point guard on the fly. And so it's the same with Mac McClung. If you think you're a point guard, if you want to prove to people you're a point guard, don't go in the transfer portal. Don't run away from Georgetown. Everything about you, everything at Georgetown is about you. Instead, get back in the gym, stop working on your dunks, stop working on your 360, and do some ball handling drills. I'll use another reference from this show. A few months ago, Chris Broussard was on the show. We were talking about the Michael Jordan documentary. I said, do player, are players looking at themselves in the mirror after this Michael Jordan documentary realizing how much, how different the game was then than the game is now? realizing how much harder Michael Jordan worked than they did. And Chris uh, Broussard, I thought said something pretty interesting. He said, look, NBA players now, they work hard. The problem is they only work on the things that they're good at, right? How is Ben Simmons in year seven of, the, of his career, or six or whatever it is, and he can't shoot a three-point shot? He's a guard. You know you got to work on your three-point shot, so work on it. For other players, it's other stuff. But Chris Broussard brought up a good point. He said, how are you going to have a situation where you're working on the things that you're already good at? Work on the things you're bad at. Make yourself uncomfortable. And I think it's the same with Mac McClung. If you got to be a point guard, go do it at Georgetown where you can play 36 minutes a game. Don't go to Texas Tech where, by the way, you might have to sit out for a year. And even if you don't, I hate to tell Mac McClung this, he's probably like the fourth best player on that roster. I told you last episode, they got two wings that are going to play in the NBA. Joel and Tomway, who's related to jo- uh, Jonathan Kaminga, the number one player in America. TJ Shannon, another wing. Those guys are going to play in the NBA. Marcus Santos Silva, transfer from VCU, really good player. Then another kid, Kevin McCullough, really good player. McDonald's All-American, Namari Burnett, really good player. Mac McClung might be like the fifth or sixth best player on that team. If I'm being generous, maybe like the third. But is that really going to help you get to the NBA? Or are you just running from the problem? You're just going somewhere else. And it's the same with Andrew Nemhard. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm totally whiffing on this one. Maybe the Nemhard family hears, hears this and yells and screams. And if they do, God bless them. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But to me, everyone I've talked to and every piece of information I have tells me that this kid thinks that he is an NBA, uh, an NBA player and he has not developed right under Mike White. Well, Mike White wasn't the guy turning the ball over three times a game. Mike White wasn't the guy who shot 35% from three as a freshman and then went down to 30% as a sophomore. Get back in the gym, get better, and don't go someplace else. But if you are, so be it. I just think it's a really interesting scenario, and I think we're seeing it more and more in college basketball. I should mention, by the way, St. John's leading scorer decided to, to transfer the, the last couple weeks. Like, dude, you're at St. John's. You're averaging 15 a game. Do you want to average 15 a game at St. John's? Or do you want to go to Texas Tech or Arkansas or Auburn and average nine 
and be less relevant. Maybe they, maybe some of these kids are about winning, but I think most of them are about trying to put themselves in the best position, and I think in the long run, they are actually hurting themselves. Whew. All right. Covered a lot of ground over the last couple, uh, last half hour or so, but uh, really... Um, you know, interesting episode to say the least. Obviously, I started someplace and I ended up somewhere different, but I do hope you kind of enjoyed what I what I had to say, and we'll keep this thing rolling. So I want to thank you guys, as always, for listening to today's episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I want to remind you, please make sure you're subscribed. Do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify. Wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Find me on Facebook, find me on YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. And I would say one thing. I forgot to mention this off the top because there was obviously more pressing issues, but as I've told a lot of you, as I've said on previous episodes, I put out episodes this entire quarantine because I knew at some point we would get back to normal, you guys would get back to work, and for those of you who are now more in a normal routine, I know so many of you listen to this show at the gym. I know so many of you listen to it in the car, commute, subway, whatever. Go back and download the old episodes. And the reason why is very simply this. A lot of the interviews, I made sure to make sure, I made sure to make sure, does, that was a little bit too much. I made sure that the interviews that I did were evergreen. And so you didn't have to listen in the moment to Emmanuel Quickly or to Mason Jones. Mason Jones was an incredible interview, by the way. Obi Toppin, incredible interview. Jim Calhoun, you don't have to be a UConn fan to take something out of that. Gary Williams, former head coach at Maryland. I said Obi Toppin. Um, who else? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Mark Pope, Rick Barnes was an excellent interview. So if you have not listened to those episodes yet, go back, download them. All the content from them is still good. It still works. It is still applicable to what is going on now. I made sure those uh, conversations were every. So that is all for this segment. Coming up, as I said, Ryan Holland's really fun interview. By the way, the, the interview I should mention, I did it via Zoom. So you can go and watch it on YouTube if you prefer, but since you're already here, you might as well just listen here. But really fun interview. He played at UCLA, played during the Morrison, Adam Morrison crying game, uh, played uh, in, in the NBA under Michael Jordan. And so, yeah, and that's really it. So make sure you're listening to old episodes. Go back and download. And that's it for this segment. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. And now, 10-year NBA vet, former UCLA Bruin, really fun conversation on Mick Crow and everything that's going on at UCLA, Ryan Hollins. All right. Joining me, uh, some of you will be watching this on Zoom and YouTube. Others will be listening on the podcast. Nine-year NBA vet, UCLA Bruin. He now works for just about every media company under the sun, ESPN, <laughs> CBS, Fox Sports with me. Ryan Hollins, what's good, man? How you doing? Hey, man, what's going on, brother? Thanks for having me. Appreciate you reaching out, man. Cool stuff. I appreciate you joining me. First of all, uh, like I said, for people watching on Zoom, Ryan's got the, the, the PS4 going here. But what have you been doing, man? I mean, you're a guy that, you know, literally, and I, I mean this in a sincere way, every time I flip on the TV, you're covering, you know, I live in LA, so you're covering Clippers games, college, the NBA, ESPN, first take. How have you just been spending this time? Because I'm guessing between your playing career and your very quickly emerging media career, you probably haven't had this much downtime in a while. No, I haven't, man. And it's and it's really tough without the NBA right now, because, you know, obviously college was cool, but 
you know, even March Madness getting canceled. I would just say in general without basketball, you know. Mm -hmm. I'd also participate in the big three. That's right. And without that, man, like, that, like it's kind of shut everything down. So sure. I guess, so to speak, my business of basketball, uh, you know, as a part-time employee, man, that's a, that's a tough one. No, 100%. And, I mean, how have you been passing the time? I mean, I know it's cliche, but I got to ask, you've been watching old games, you've been watching documentaries, Netflix. Like I said, you got the PS4 popping. I mean, what, what, what have you been doing the last couple of months? Man, brother, like a bunch of gaming. And I've got, I've got four kids, so okay. like, they're not lacking for, you know, my time. And I have a different respect, you know, obviously not just for my wife, um, but, you know, like the teachers, because just, you know, schooling the kids, making sure their schoolwork is done, going over this stuff with them, making sure they're pointed in the right direction. That's a headache in itself. And, you know, I always like, I would always like tutor my kids. Uh-huh. We never just done like full on schooling, you know, <laughs> so this is. Like this is different, bro. <laughs> what uh what's the hardest thing for you you now being a teacher, what's been the hardest thing? I'm guessing there's maybe some algebra or geometry that you have long since forgotten. You know what? It's nice like with the internet, because like, you know, <laughs> like I can pretty I try to teach them, teach them how to fish. I'm like, all right, well, read me the directions. Go uh -huh. back over it. By the time they've read the directions, they know for the most part where to go. But I think at this point, just getting your kids to complete everything. Because sure. they're all, my, my kids are smart, bro. Like, my son's got straight A's, and he's just like, ah, well, I just didn't feel like doing history. Like, dude, you're, you're two <laughs> weeks behind in history. I just didn't feel like doing history. Like, yo, like, <laughs> like how does it, like, it doesn't work like that, okay? I say, hey, man, well, imagine your job, and you just didn't feel like doing something. Well, your boss isn't going to pay you, so you guys sure. can't get away with that stuff. When you're on ESPN, you can't just say, I don't feel like talking Clippers tonight, or I don't feel like talking Lakers tonight. Oh man, shoot! I mean, mid July, brother. Like you know, you know, you're doing radio in you know mid July or whatever. Once basketball is done with, now we're glad basketball is year round. But I've been doing radio for a minute to where there's no topics. You don't just go, oh man, there's no show. Like dude, everybody's got to tape after the NBA finals. Everybody's got to tape, right? So yeah, yeah. Real quick, I did want to talk about your NBA career and also your college career. You know, one of the things I like having smart people like you on, but people that have played the game and, and you know, UCLA is such a, a hot button program, for lack of a better term. They're really good. They're really bad. What's wrong? What's right? Um, and I want to talk, first of all, about your career. I mean, you had kind of a wild career. I was looking it up beforehand, so it, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were there, Steve Lavin's last year was your freshman year, and then okay. your senior year, you made the Final Four under Ben Howland. So you, I feel like, had the full, you know, we talk about the college experience. From a basketball perspective, I feel like from having your coach fired all the way to a new coach, I don't know if at the time you considered a transfer or whatever, but all the way to finish with the final four. I mean, when you think back to your time at UCLA, I mean, it, like I said, it feels like kind of a whirlwind four years. Man, you, you couldn't have said it better, brother. You, like, you hit on, I think you hit on every emotion for me. Um, I'll say just first off, uh, that first year at UCLA with Coach Lavin, we set records for losses. And literally like i think we lost like 10 or 11 straight and then we beat georgetown that's the most losses in ucla history i don't know if a lot of people remember that consecutively and then we get into a position where like just like the lavin teams 
we're getting hot at the end and we're ready to make the tournament. And Luke, Luke Jackson, excuse me, hits the top of the top of the key three pointer and knocks us out of the tournament. I bring that up to say that's where my coach was fired. Now, fast forward, my father always taught me a lesson. He's big on lessons, man. And one of the biggest lessons is, you know, you always leave things better than it was. Mm-hmm. And like, I look at myself in the mirror going into my senior year. It's like, dude, am I going to be the only one who went to UCLA, didn't make any tournament? Like, this is not what I came here for. So I just, in a sense, like I vowed, like, I'm going to a championship game. I'm going to do something crazy. And we just got hot, man. And I just remember, like, there was no waste in motion. Like, I was doing anything I could to win. If it was diving on the floor, um, like, I, I just got tired, man. Like, if you take a loss, especially at that age, like, dude, anybody who plays sports or at that level, like, it haunts you. Mm-hmm. It haunts you. Like, when you're young and you're doing, like, if you had a bad game, like, I was the type, I always trained, like, I had a bad week. Like, it went with me afterwards. Like, it mm-hmm. stuck with me, like, almost, like, to an unhealthy extent. Like, so I just was like, I'm, I'm never going to have that feeling again. I'm going to have a feeling of satisfaction after this season. And we were blessed to make the champ- to the championship game. And nobody remembers the runner-ups. We just get grouped in with the Final Four teams. But I thought it was cool to be a part of, if not in some ways, the reason that UCLA got back to somewhat of, you know, being mentioned in college, back- college basketball's great programs. And, you know, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Love, Collison go on to two more Final Four. So it wasn't a championship run, but... I guess, like, we were kind of like, you know, we three-peated in the final four, the two guys after. Yeah, real quick, you know, so let me ask you this, right? I think that there is a negative perception in general on West Coast college hoops. Now, we know the West Coast produced a lot of great NBA players, but I will say I think that some of the East Coast schools, North Carolina, Duke, whatever, they look down of, oh, you know, they don't take college basketball seriously out there. What is it like to wear those four letters across your chest in L.A.? Because I live here, and listen, I understand that um, there's a lot of options. We were talking about a minute ago, Lakers, Clippers. Now there's the Rams, USC, all that stuff. But I also live here, and I was here, and I was at the games when Lonzo was playing well. I was at the games this year when Mick Cronin had things rolling, and people do care. So just – for the fan that says, eh, UCLA, they're a brand from the past. People don't care. They don't respect it the way they used to. Take it. What is it like to wear those four letters in this city? Man, I just got chills. Like, there's nothing like those four letters. So when you think about the history of Lou Alcindor, you know, I mean, Reggie Miller, like, I mean, like, you can go down the list at UCLA as a story program, and it's, it's special. Like, so for me, it meant everything. And I know that in UCLA knows it, like they've dropped the ball and I'll just tell it to you straight off like this. They got cocky mm-hmm. and they got arrogant and they thought that just being UCLA was good enough. Yep. And being like just UCLA is not good enough, not for this group of kids. Yep. Like this group of kids like to hear the rap music and social media and all that stuff. But like, for my, for my generation, your generation, like UCLA, like it meant something. And we had been losing out to these kids, to the, you know, to the Kentuckys, to the, you know, to the Dukes, to the Carolinas. You know, we were, and we had to make a change to get back. And I'm going to be honest, the, the, the big reason why we, why we were losing out 
and it's not just dropping the ball as far as the, the donors, athletic director, and coaching and recruiting and all that. It was a lot of the alumni. And that, that Wooden generation did not want to let go of the John Wooden generation. Sure. Uh, you know, tie your shoes, right, and come in. We love Coach Wooden, so I'm not saying it as a diss to Coach Wooden. But the reality was these young kids, I remember Coach Wooden, these young kids don't even know who Wooden was. Sure. So you're trying to go by the same standards, and it wasn't going to work. So I'll say, for instance, like, remember when, you know, the jerseys came out, and UCLA had black jerseys, right? Yeah. Matt Barnes and, and Capono and Rico Hines, those guys were wearing the black jerseys. Those, the old Wooden generation, they went bananas, bro. And they're yeah. like, nah, we're not, you know, you're not wearing that. That's not UCLA. So, like, any type of fun, like, we used to, like, warm up to, like, country music and honky talk. <laughs> like, like, true story. True story. So, like, it was like, yo, like, who, what kid wants to play in this environment? Sure. And then, you know, the games are, aren't filled if you're not really popping like that as a university. Why? Because no one's going to drive and sit in four hours of traffic Thank to make you. it to Thank you. On a Tuesday night. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to, like, like gear up for a Saturday, a Saturday game. So when they – like, the campus is on board, and they're going out to change things now. But at the same time, the boosters were the ones that were paying the money. They're paying the money for that stuff, but they were driving the school into the ground. And obviously, that falls on coaching. That falls on a lot of other, other factors than just that. But, you know, it, it definitely was a factor. Like, I'm not going to pretend, like, all those things added up in mind, like the facilities. Yeah. We used to practice in the floor. Bro, the floor was like concrete. And all of our guys had, you know, like our knees would hurt. And you couldn't tell, because you're like, you know, it's 17-year-old kids talking about his knees hurt. Like, like who cares, right? Mm -hmm. So me, Farmar, Ofalo, Bamute, all of us, once we make it to the NBA and we go test, one of the consensus was, even Russell Westbrook, man, you guys are athletic. You got what the heck? You guys, I didn't see this in the game. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I, bro, I can't tell you how many times I heard, I didn't know you were this athletic. I never knew that you were this athletic. I kept, we kept hearing that so much, essentially because when you're jumping on concrete and practicing for three hours a day on concrete, no one, no one knows what you have. And then you finally get out of that. And, you know, people see you can run, you can jump. Dude, when I went on to the draft, my high, this is my highest number on record. I don't know what the other records were. 43 and a half inch vertical at seven feet. Wow. I didn't, like that. I didn't jump like that at UCLA because we're practicing on concrete. Fast forward now, they fixed the floor. Fast forward now, they've changed the facilities around. They, you know, Russell Westbrook and, and Kevin, those guys, you know, made sacrifices to the program. But. You know, like, all that stuff is huge, man. Like, dude, yeah. you, like, you can't get away from that. But now UCLA is catching up. So, like, dude, for instance, like, let's say I take a, a visit to Duke. Then I go to UCLA and they got, like, like they don't even have their own locker room. Or, like, mm -hmm. the locker room. Like, what? Like, bro, I'm going to Duke. I'm going yeah. to, like, like, Texas, Oklahoma. Like, those schools are, like, there's almost like a professional program. Yeah. So, you know, we're on par now to compete from an, you know, from an, uh, a month of a financial standpoint, but you know, we, we just weren't doing enough at that level. Sure. No. And it's really funny. I've said this on this show is, you know, Steve Alfred and I, you know, I've interviewed him a bunch. I've, I've 
said a lot about him, some good, some bad. I think there were reasons that he struggled. But I remember talking to him, and he would be like, Aaron, you would not believe how much stress that I have just trying to figure out where we're going to practice, when we're going to practice, um, if there's a volleyball game at Pauley Pavilion, if there's a career fair at Pauley Pavilion, I got to practice at nine at night or eight in the morning or whatever. And I always use this, this fact. Grand Canyon University out in Arizona had a basketball-only practice facility before UCLA. Uh, and I don't think a lot of people realize how far behind they were in all those facilities and amenities, like you said. Yeah, no, nah, it, it, it really said a lot. And it spoke volumes, and you know, it, it just it just tells you like how are like how serious are you about basketball? Mm-hmm. How serious are y'all about basketball? And you see those questions answered in the wrong way. But like I said, I'm so glad that you know Russell and Kevin they put forth their money to to go ahead and put put that up. And and then they're not the sole donors in that project, but you know they really put on for the university and. You know, like it's it's paying off. It it is absolutely paying off. So I thought, you know, for what they did, like it it, it was just really cool and much needed. And you know, it, it's about time. But you're going to start seeing those rewards in in recruiting. And it may not be this year, it may not be next year, but that's going to continue to move forward. You know, the value of what they did, and then shoot, like names like Kevin Love and Russell Westbrook, like those are those are big. You know, because you lose connections with the Baron Davises of the world uh, in recruiting and stuff like that. And like, you know, you want Baron on board with recruiting, you know, please don't tell me like, like Kevin Durant's not making calls for Texas and stuff like that. Like you have to maintain the alumni relationships and that's what UCLA also got really poor at. But I'm glad that like, there are people there trying to do things right. Like I can speak for a fact, like Mick Cronin is trying to like do things the right way. Mm-hmm. And he's gonna get UCLA back where it should be. Like I, I know it for a fact because he's got a he's got no ego. He's positive, and like you know, he'll invite a guy to. Pre- I mean, heck, I watched film with our guys this year and just talked about something simple, rolling to the basket, something like that. And you know, I'm nobody, but it was like, no, you're a Bruin. You're a big part of the program. You know, so I, I think th- little things like that go volumes on guys like Mick Cronin, why. He's going to have a lot of success there. You know, he's very selfless in his approach. Yeah, I've spent a little time around him since he got to the city uh, about a year ago. I'm trying to get him on this show. There's been some hiccups the last couple months. But, yeah, it sounds like you're really impressed by what you saw both on the court and behind the scenes this first year. I am, man. And, you know, it's funny. Like, I would – you know, me and Coach would even talk after the game. And I remember – Man, I forget what game it was. We lost. It was it was the stinker. But like we weren't supposed to lose. And I watched Tiger and somebody else. And they they went out and they they picked up full court. They harassed the ball even though the game was over until the end. And it wasn't fouling, but it was like they played through the whistle. And we were trained to play through the whistle. Craig yep. Big Hall, Ben Howland and Lavin. And it seems like something little. When you're down, you keep playing. And our guys fought. And I text coach after. And I said, we were losing at the time. I said, Coach, I couldn't be more proud to be a Bruin. Hmm. The way our guys are fighting, I know we're going to be all right. I know we're going to be all right. And you saw the way we got hot. But, you know, Mick is instilling the correct values yep. at the right. Like, it seems small, but like, hey, share the basketball. 
you know, cheer for your teammates, make the selfless play, you know, move it around. When you get the ball, you know, be aggressive, make a, like, make a good play. Like he's doing the right things, if that makes sense. And it's going to pay off. And, and it, to me, it already is. Yeah, let me ask you, less, less kind of UCLA thing, we'll get to some NBA stuff, but, you know, when I um, think back to, to your teams and UCLA even a little bit before you got there, um, like you said, effort, hard play, and you guys kind of had those, like, dudes that weren't afraid to get down and dirty. I mean, you mentioned Matt Barnes. I mean, he's like the ultimate guy when you think NBA, toughness, doesn't care about stats, you know, is going to do what he needs to do away from the ball to win. You know, I don't want to generalize your play, but, you know, you seem like that same kind of guy. And Darren Collison, a guy that you mentioned a minute ago, four-year career, three Final Fours, 10-year NBA career. It feels like those guys were missing in, like, the last couple years. And uh, it's early because Coach Cronin, this is his first full recruiting class. He's got a kid coming in, I think, this year that reminds me a lot of that, Jalen Clark. But that's the other thing, too, is, like, maybe I'm crazy and I don't want to speak poorly about, you know, any previous players, but it felt like those kind of grimy guys that you need to win at the highest level were kind of lacking. You know what I mean? Man, every, every, look, bro, flat out, every, every kid on that top 100 list don't, <laughs> don't necessarily belong. You sure. know what I'm saying? And you may yeah. get blown away. Ah, oh, man, he's great. But, like, you get the wrong kid. You get the wrong – especially with AU basketball and the relationships with these coaches and everything going. Like, you get the wrong kid, man, he sets your program back. Yep. He sets your program back. And yep. he could be the – he could be a top five. He could be all that in a bag of chips. But if you get the wrong guy, he's going to really, really hurt your program. And Mick is going to go through and get – I mean – Man, I thought it spoke volumes. Like, bro, like, he didn't play Sharif O'Neal. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, my mind, I, I text coach, and I thought Sharif was going to be a pro. But in all reality, at this point, you know, he had heart surgery. You know, he played a little basketball. Like, the game was moving a little fast for him. And he needed time to develop. And I thought that was a big thing, that he didn't, he didn't put Sharif in just to put him in. And I thought that was because I'm sure the conversation was had, hey, you don't play me, I'm going to transfer. I don't get the minutes I want, I'm going to transfer. And he did. But, mm. you know, you, you sacrifice culture for talent in that situation. And unfortunately, man, I love Sharif. I think he's going to be a pro. He's a heck of a player. The world is his. If you watch him, he's a, he's a physical, physical specimen. But he had to get on the same program with Coach. And he, he didn't. You know, now, now forgive me, I don't know the ins and outs, but. I thought that was a move where, you know, coach wasn't willing to sacrifice wins for putting a player who's extremely, you know, talented and has a lot of upside, but at the same time, wasn't quite ready yet. Sure. Last question on UCLA. Uh, I was doing some research. Uh, So you were part of that Adam Morrison crying game. Uh, I hate to be rude to Adam Morrison, but they've been playing that game a lot these last couple uh, months, uh, obviously with no actual live sports on. Uh, very iconic college basketball game for people who probably don't remember the details. You guys were down, I think, like uh, 17 in the first half, and I want to say something like 11 or 12 with four minutes to go. What do you remember about that game? Because, like I said, I think uh, it's one that a lot of people, they at least remember how it ended 
but you were on the court. You hit a couple big free throws late, which ultimately helped you guys get that win. Man, that game, if it, if, if it ever meant sense, like, makes sense, like, I don't know if you've ever had a moment that, like, described your life, like that game. Mm-hmm. Like, you ever felt like you were down 17 points in your life? Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I felt like it epitomized my career, my time at UCLA, that nothing was going to be easy. My, my coach was fired. My basketball game wasn't up to par. I was on the bench. I felt like that game for me and Cedric Bozeman, it just spoke that first half, just spoke about everything we went through. And we got to a point where, like, there wasn't some great speech, bro. There wasn't, like, a big halftime deal. It was just like, I'm going to fight. I'm getting chills right now. Like, I'm going to fight because I've been fighting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fight because I've been fighting, and I don't know anything else. And it came together. And in that second half, the game plan went out the window. And I say the game plan went out the window because game Ben Howland, love him or hate him, he was, he's one of the best at creating a game plan. He's one of the best at creating a game plan and boxing you in completely. And the thing about Gonzaga, they were so disciplined that our game plan wouldn't work because they had to an answer and counters for everything we did. And Adam Morrison was that good. He had, he had every shot in the bag. Like, it's rare that we can talk about a college athlete and you remember that has a post game, a floater, left hand, right hand, jump shot, can dunk, finish at the rim. Like, he had it, can run, pick, and roll. Like, it wasn't like, oh, put him in pick and rolls and he, he, you know, he'll struggle because his handle isn't great. Like, Adam Morrison had everything for those who forget. And he went off. And we just had to, like, old school grit up and just go guard him, bro. And to me, that just spoke to, like, who we were. That spoke to, like, who we were, like, everything about that game. Like, I'll just – I'll never forget how, how it happened and, and uh, you know, how it went down because how hard it was, man. And I think to, to fight back and just to be, like, yo, like, backs against the wall, like, that's, that's what really, really sticks out to me with that game. That's what really, really stuck out to me with that. And when, when, when we came back, bro, I mean, it, it, like, I don't know if you saw – and, I, and I'll, I'll walk you through this. So at the end of the game, everyone was quiet because they didn't know what had happened. And <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember, Rubio hits a shot at the top of the key. He hits a three-pointer, and everybody thought it was over. And when he hit that three, their fans let out that, it's finally cheer. They let out that, like, ah, finally. Like, that cheer was like, yo, we're moving on. To leave. Like, they could smell it we didn't have the same reaction, but it was like, dang, good shot. When the game ended, everybody was silent. You could hear a pin drop in the stadium. You could literally hear a pin drop. And one one of the things was, not only could you hear a pin drop, people were like looking around like, what was happening? Then out of nowhere, the entire arena just erupts. People start cheering, hugging, high five and it goes insane me and cedric bozeman we like we like lock arms and we're walking around men said it was like caveman talk bro <laughs> like, we don't say one thing to each other we're just screaming and there's actually a picture of me and him walking around and he's got this like, like this smug look on his face and me and said 
are just walking around and I'll never forget that moment because it was just like, like me and him, it was a certain language, like, yo, like we're here. And as we walked around cheering, everybody's erupting. It was just, it's, it's, it's a moment you can't, you like, you really, like you honestly, like you cannot simulate, you cannot simulate it. And that's what it was like after the game. And when Adam Morrison was on the floor, actually, excuse me, before we celebrated, I went over, me and Seth went over and we picked up Adam Morrison. And I wanted Adam Morrison to know that he had nothing to hang his hat on and that he was going to be a star for a very long time in the NBA. And for me, I saw him crying, but I wanted to, I wanted to tell him how good, how good and how great of a player he was. And Aaron came over because I knew, to me, I couldn't even fully celebrate because I knew how easily that was going to be me on the floor crying my <laughs> senior year and basketball was over with. And was crazy, like, you've seen the Dove commercial. They show it, like, a million times. But, like, to me, he was so good. Like, dude, you can't hang your head. Like, just life happens, Adam. And we go on to be teammates, you know, in Charlotte. He was the third pick. I was the 50th, you know, to the Bobcats. Dude, Pete, what? Well, that's a good segue to the NBA then, because I was going to ask you another question about Morrison. But real quick, um, so I did some math in my head. I could be wrong on this. Uh, when you got to the NBA, was Jordan the owner of the Charlotte franchise? He wasn't the owner, but he was the acting president. Okay. Uh, and, and so I was, I was drafted by Michael Jordan. Okay. Yeah, I was drafted by Michael in um, – it was like one of the coolest things ever, you know, like getting on the phone draft night, like, hey, it's Michael Jordan. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was crazy, bro. Do you do you have any of those, like, you know, he overhears you talking crap and you uh, he challenged you to one-on-one -on -one or anything crazy like that? You see anything like that? Man, honestly, I wasn't, maybe because I'm not a wing, I wasn't invited, but he was still <laughs> – decently fresh off of playing and he came down with Gerald Wallace, Richard, uh, uh, um, I don't know what, uh, Jason Richardson. I don't know how him and Richard Jefferson, I think I, I get dyslexic or whatever with those two, if that's sure. the right word. Um, they, and they played a game of one-on-one -on -one. and, uh, I, I wasn't invited. They kind of played after practice. And of course, you know, Michael plays Michael's rules. He's just fouling, grabbing, holding, you know, to compete, then, you know, limits the dribbles. And it's like, dude, you got the greatest footwork in history. So that's an L. <laughs> sure. So um, that's all I remember from playing wise, but was wild. The first time I had a conversation with Mike, well, hold on. Well, the first time I saw Mike, one of the big knocks on Mike at that time was that Mike wasn't around enough and he wasn't really around that year to be running basketball operations. And Michael would chill, you know, he walked in practice one day. And, bro, I, I swear to you, he had he was glowing. I had never been starstruck in my life. And Michael walked into practice over on the side of the, you know, on the other side of the end while we were practicing. And Michael Jordan, he had, he was glowing. And I've never, I've never felt that way about a person in my life until I saw Michael Jordan. It was like, there's, there's just something different about him that I, I can't explain. There's no way you can explain. And... That's the first time I saw him. And then, you know, kind of said what I said to him. I go, hey, Mike, um, man, what I got to do to get on Team Jordan, you know? <laughs> and he said, uh, you know, he, look, he looks at me and he's like, yo, Ryan, um, 
you're a shoe whore. <laughs> you, you were Adidas, you were Reebok, you were everything. I'm not pulling you to Team Jordan. So I thought that was a funny moment. But, like, you know, he was joking. But I was like, nah, I was serious. Like, yo, like, let me hop on Team Jordan, Mike. You yeah. know, so, it, you know, that doesn't happen. But I remember the first time we really, really talked, um, I walk into the office and he calls me into the office. We have these like player exit meetings or whatever they were, like weird thing. And I didn't know what to expect. He goes, yo, don't worry. We're not cutting you. We really like you. Nice. And like, I kind of didn't even know that players went into the office to get cut at the time. <laughs> I was so young. Sure. But I was like, cool. But like, like, it was like, bro, it was like a scene out of the Twilight Zone. And Michael was like, yo, I really like your game. You know, you, uh, you jump high, you run. He told me that the way I jump, I'm incredibly athletic. He said that I reminded him of Larry Vance, the way I could jump and kind of wow. glide. He was like, you know, you're like a, you're like a big guard, the way you move, your fluid, your athleticism, it's, it's different. And he was like, you know, I see you playing the four and the five for us because there was like power forwards back at that time. You know, you didn't just get stuck at center if you were athletic. And I remember like being in a trance hearing Michael Jordan compliment my basketball game I'm like all right like all right like y'all can't tell me nothing like I was so <laughs> humbled by that like it was one of the coolest things I can ever like think in my like in my entire life bro like ever like ever so you know hearing that from him was amazing and the one thing I took from Michael when you sit down and talk with him he's so humble he's such a student of the game and he's very perceptive he's incredibly perceptive to everything going on and when Michael played, I see why he had the success because he was calculating every single moment. He had a scouting report. He had an awareness of where everyone was supposed to be. Mm. Michael was on a different wavelength. Michael, Kobe, LeBron, those guys are on different wavelengths than the rest of uh, you know, us, us like regular NBA players. So I think to talk to him and hear him break my game down like that, you know, it's funny. People say he's a bad GM or whatever like that, like, like, maybe he hasn't made the greatest choices, but Michael has an eye for talent, and he, he's going to have success there. But when I talk about someone who, like, knows the game of basketball, it, it, it will blow you away just having a conversation with him. Very good. Uh, what would you make of the documentary, by the way? I'm guessing you, like everybody else, watched it. What would you think of it? Man, it's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. What was really funny as we go back to 2006, I was at rookie transition, me, Adam Morrison, LaMarcus Aldridge, Brandon Roy, uh, Bagnani, all those guys in our rookie transition. And they come in at the end of rookie transition and we saw a trailer for it back then. Really? What? They had, listen, bro, they had a couple scenes cut out in the trailer. They, oh, they edited the heck out of it. Oh, Rodman's in the, yo, Rodman's in the bathroom with some chick getting it on, bro. Really? In the in the trailer. Like, yo, like they have stuff on there. Like, yo, if, I mean, if these dudes weren't so mad in the next however many years, if those if some of these scenes come out, brother, like wow. that Rodman deal, Rodman's deal was edited, my my guy. Rodman's deal, like I'm sure like a lot of them. A lot of that was wow. very like, extremely edited. A lot of it. A lot of it. Outside of the Rodman, I mean, what would you make of the Michael stuff? I mean, first of all, now I need to see those deleted scenes. Um, not, Man. yeah, because I, I just you just you just reminded me. I saw it was like, yo, this is cracking. Like, whoa, <laughs> this is about to go down. What did you make this, of what, 
What do you make of uh, what made air, the 10 hours that made air? Man, I thought it was magic, bro. And um, at a time that we needed with COVID-19 going on, I think the biggest thing for me, just being honest, it wasn't just hearing old bull stories, which I thought was like just so amazing. It was just this feeling of my, the first time I fell in love with basketball, like yeah. coming all the way back to me again, like watching Michael and Scotty and like, I know these dudes are mad at each other, but I don't think they understand like Scotty Pippen, like I worship the ground you walk on at that time, bro. Like, you helped me fall in love with the game of basketball. Like, Michael, like, B.J. Armstrong, Kerr, like, you guys are enshrined in, in basketball history because of what you've done. And I don't think they need to be mad at you. I don't look any less at Scottie Pippen or those guys. I think they're just still the coolest on the planet yeah. for being a part of that and playing. And, you know, I wasn't an old at that time. I'm not, you know, went 30 or 40, but, like, just my first memories of basketball – I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. And, like, you know, I was too young. I'm, I have hazy memories of Kareem and Magic and, you know, sitting there watching Laker games with my great-grandmother and, then, you know, figuring out what's going on. But, like, like Michael, like, that guy, like, he showed me basketball. He showed me basketball. So I, I'm thankful for that. And I don't, I don't think these guys should be as angry as um, as they're made out. But I, I understand some of the things, but I, I, just, I don't think it's that big. Yeah, and I, I've said, too, is that, you know, I, I actually give Michael credit. Everyone's saying, oh, it's Michael's version of Michael's events, yet he answered every question about gambling. He answered every question about yep. Republicans buy sneakers, too. And so I thought I thought it was very fair to all parties. Something I asked uh, – I what's up? Did you say, did you say something? I said facts, like I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was talking to, uh, uh, I think guy, you know, as well, Chris Broussard about this. Do you think, and listen, I'm not trying to do the whole, your generation was better than this one. Michael's generation was better than whatever, but there is a lot of things that go on now that didn't go on back in the day, right? Load management, all, all that stuff. And when, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to make light here, but you know, when Kobe passed away a few months back, you know, I saw all these kind of modern players talk about, yeah, I got that Mamba mentality and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, I got that Jordan mentality, whatever. And I think seeing that documentary, it's hard for me to look at NBA players. And, and I get why some guys would take off a night here and there. And I'm not saying you should never take a night off. Do you think NBA players now are, are having seen that saying, I thought I went hard. I thought I, I gave it my all. I thought I gave 110%. But after seeing what Michael went through, do you think players have a different perspective on either how hard they're working or how tough their road is or anything like that after seeing the MJ documentary? I think that uh, – I think a lot of guys are having a wake-up call. You know, really? The one that comes to mind is even like LeBron James. I think LeBron James, you know, is going to kick in the gear a little bit and go, yeah, so. yeah, I wasn't. I really wasn't on my grind the way I thought, like, you know, like, okay, like, let's, like, love of the game. Like, just beyond everything, like, love of the game. I think it, 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 it challenged everybody's love of the game of basketball, um, I believe. And it's funny, when you talk about Mamba mentality and a lot of those things, like, all right, take your phone and delete every number out of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, take your work habits and where you're, you know, sitting around playing video games or going to the club or – you know, on the phone, you go get in the gym or you go work on your game or you get in the weight room and you commit the next 15 years or whatever your life to it. Like, people, guys aren't trying to do that, bro. Yep. 
guys are not trying to do that. So, like, when you talk about a Mamba mentality or a Jordan mentality, that's a whole, bro, that's a whole different mm-hmm. breed. That's a whole, that's a different, that's a diff, that's a conversation for another day for a lot of these guys. Sure. It is. Because it's not, it's not for everybody. And you got to come to the grips, like, like, you know, can you do it as graceful as Kobe? To where, you know, when Kobe figured it out, Kobe was like, Lakers and family. Everything yeah. else is Lakers and family. Everything else is gone. Literally. Mm-hmm. And that's what he cut out. And I'm intrigued to see how it trickles down. Now, when I think about load management, as you brought it up, those guys played at a different pace that we played at. Sure. And you would, you would literally injure yourself trying to play that hard. You would injure yourself playing because the cardio within today's NBA game is so much different than the, what those guys do cardio-wise. We're playing at 110, 120-point pace. You pull a hamstring trying to play defense. You know, not yeah. to say that you shouldn't defend, but it's a completely different animal um, that you're seeing, you know, in today's, in today's NBA versus then where I understand, you know, the physicality, you know, was on another level. But, you know, this is, you know, this is just com- completely different the way they play now. Sure. But I think there's a lot of soft moments where, you know, I, I don't know if, if the players are softer or smarter. Guys understand their brand. So getting ready to get traded, you know, uh, do I need to go crazy before, <laughs> before the trade deadline? Like, you know, like, I don't know. Like, do I need to stick on my team forever? Like, like, do, like should I be doing these things? Like, Players now have minds, you know, and everybody wants to screw them. Like, these guys, you know, they move around and play for, you know, eight different teams. Like, yeah, because it's a smart thing to do. Sure. It's a smart thing. Like, player movement makes sense. So there's a bit of me I think I'm torn where I think guys need to be tougher in certain situations. But now players are realistic. I mean, hell, bro, Larry Bird ended his career paving his mother's driveway. <laughs> old, school values and, old school values and mentality. I didn't know you that. You know, Larry, Larry, Larry Bird, like, like people would have died to do that for Larry Bird. Like, Larry, Larry, I'll be there at seven sharp. Like, yep. would he, like you know, and he, like, he went out. That's how gangster Larry Bird was. Mm-hmm. And, try, and tried to pave his mother's driveway by himself. Tried to pave his mother's driveway by himself, you know. Sure. Last question, I'll let you go. Uh, I don't know exactly when this will run, but as we record here, it looks like the NBA is coming back. It looks like it's going to be in Orlando, wide world of sports. As you and I talk, we don't know, are there going to be regular season games? Is it going to go straight to the playoffs? When is it going to start? How long is training camp going to be? Just general thoughts on where we are right now with this current season, what's going to happen going forward. It feels like we're going to get a championship. It's obviously unprecedented, but just your thoughts on where we're at right now. Uh, man, from a player's perspective, I hope they're being professionals and working out right now. Yep. And staying as, as in shape as they can. Uh, for a number of players, this is an opportunity to go make money because everybody's not going to be in shape. Everybody's not going to be working. And I know they'll have to allow players a certain amount of time so that they can, they can go through a training camp or whatnot. Uh, I know teams are, you know, hitting up their players and, you know, kind of letting them know to start making their way back. Uh, 
I believe we're, we, like you said, we will get a champion. And I believe it's really, really going to be in the best interest of those veteran squads uh, of the Lakers, of the, of the Clippers, uh, even Milwaukee outside of Giannis. They've got a, a lot of veterans around him. Um, it's going to be really in the interest of, of those guys. And I know as NBA uh, facilities are starting to open up, and as long as these guys are COVID-free, I would assume they're, they're in there working. Uh, so I'm, I'm really, really excited to get the NBA back. And I thought, you know, at first it was kind of cool. Like they got a rest, it's tie ball, cool. We don't need to go back. And you go like, you know, like th- we thought it was cool at first, but this kind of isn't cool because this is affecting the players' money. So yeah. with, with that in hand, they need to get back out and it's affecting TV deals and a lot of other things that we don't want to lose. So even though this may be an uncomfortable time for the NBA, they got to get back out, bro. Very good. Ryan Hollins. Dude, this was fun, man. We, uh, I think we've traded DMs before. I've gone on Fox Sports Radio when you've hosted. I, I want to say you've maybe come on my show once or twice, but – Dude, it was fun, man. I'm glad we got to talk a little hoop. I appreciate the time. Oh, man, anytime, my guy, man. Big fan, bro. Keep it up, man. I, I know how hard it is, man. So, no, I appreciate you putting in the work. Ryan Hollins. Follow him on Twitter at Hollins. We will speak soon, my man. All right, brother. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.